Hello and welcome to episode two of season one of the SAP Chat podcast. Now my guest today started off life as a linguist graduating from Southampton University before joining PwC as a management consultant. Following two years there, he then went on to work for a variety of clients in the SAP market before setting up Harlex Consultancy, a data migration company in 2009. In 2016, Harlex was acquired by SMP, where Ben was the UK MD until the end of December 2020. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jaron. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, a question I've got to ask you up front is how does a linguist at university start with PwC in technology? Well, it was a it was a question I was probably asking myself as well, <laughs> sort of two, two, three months into into my career. Um, yeah, I started. Yeah, I graduated in '97. Um, I was lucky enough to be accepted onto the what they called the Mitus Graduate Scheme at uh, at PwC in September of that year. Um, I, I don't know what I expected really. I think I think I I thought I had a, you know, it was a it was a, a management consulting uh, career that beckoned, and that I'd be, you know, advising the board of Unilever on strategy within a couple of months of started. I'd, I'd not quite realised that it was very much uh, an, an IT role. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a, a bit of a hard start, to be honest. Um, you know, programming training in, in COBOL and, and C and, and, and client server architecture. Um, I think my tutors were fairly, uh, fairly patient with me in those first few months. Um, it, and it was only really later when, when I worked in other parts of Europe that I realized that what we do here in the UK where um, you know, arts graduates can move into sort of business roles, IT mm. roles, very technical roles. It's quite unusual, actually. Mm. A lot of countries around Europe, particularly France, they, they, they get sort of streamed all the way from, from high school. And, and if you're going to go into um, a technology role or, or a business career, you, you know, it's you won't be studying languages at university. Um, so, so, no, quite fortunate that I was able to, to do that. But it, it does give you a bit of a different perspective. Um, Perhaps from from you know from, from you know than, than if I'd done a, a computer science degree. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, we see more and more grads coming from a, a wide variety, and they, they tend to bring a really diverse point of view and uh, and different qualities, which I think is really important when trying to mm. build up a kind of multidisciplinary team, really. But I take your point in terms of uh, starting off life as a consultant. I think we all started off and thought we were going to walk straight in and uh, advise the boards on uh, strategic direction and everything yeah. else and we were probably only in our 20s but there you go so yeah so what i'm really interested in yeah i said in the intro that you you set up harlix consulting uh, consultancy well, what how, how and, and why did you set that up okay yeah so uh, yeah my, I mean, my whole career really has been around sap and and particularly data migration transformation um so so yeah i started out price waterhouse cooper's did a few projects there, um, particularly around the SAP technical side, ABAP consultant, how a lot of people in SAP started out. Um, and, and then I went to work around Europe for, for, for years, really, for about 10 years. Um, I worked for Shell, Coca-Cola, EDF. Um, and I moved over to Asia uh, for a project with, with Grundfos, uh, in, a, a Danish pump manufacturer. Um, and that project was cancelled pretty much as soon as I moved over, right. um, and I was left with you know a good year uh, to come in in China where we based ourselves for a year, and and no job. Um, wow. So so I started to think about you know what what came next, and mm. 
I, I think what, what drove me to set up Harlex and, and to focus on data migration was that you see so many projects. I mean, if, if you went back, I mean, probably even now, but if you went back at that time and asked anybody who'd been through any kind of SAP implementation, what was the risk? What went wrong? What do you wish you'd done differently? It was always data. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I think there were only really sort of two routes. We, the, the, the big SIs had, had, had gone down the sort of the offshoring route for a lot of the technical work and, and the data work by that point. So, so that was obviously uh, a channel for, for customers for, for a data migration uh, delivery. Uh, and then the other route was a, a sort of a team of contractors. And, and I just felt at the time that neither of those were really appropriate or sufficient and, and that there was a gap in the market for a company to focus specifically on on SAP data migration, which is what I did when I, when I started up um, Harlex Consulting. Um, and, and actually, interestingly, at the time, there was it, it wasn't just us. I think it probably took a couple of years before we really became aware of each other. But Entota, which was started up around about that time, mm-hmm. focused on SAP data migration as well. So I think, you know, there were two separate companies that had come come around at that point that recognized a gap in the market. Um, and, and I think that was the case that there was there was a there was a need for that at, at that point. So you um, you build Harlix up. Um, I think when we were discussing before before the podcast, you, you built that up to about 40 odd consultants and then uh you 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 get acquired by by smp so what what led you to pursue that acquisition um i think in in how we i think we're always acutely aware that um i mean i I guess as anyone that starts a company for the first time that we'd never really done this before so Mm. so there was always that question of how how big could we really take this um by ourselves um we the, the way we focused on 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 data migration it was, it was very much in and around sap implementation projects where, where, where customers were implementing sap for the first time um and we took very much a project management view of of that there, there was software available widely available things like lsmw and data services from sap uh, and, and, and other softwares that you could use. But, but the view we took was that the challenge really was in, in project management and integrating it with the rest of the work stream, integrating it with other partners that were working on projects. So it was very much a, a people business. Um, and, and actually, at the time, I, I would say the most important KPI for us was never really around how quickly we were growing or or how how profitable we were, or anything like that. It was it was really around recruiting and retaining the best people in data migration. It was always the line, you know, yeah. I used if I was interviewing somebody and trying to get somebody to come and join us. You know, come and work for us. Um, so so many there were so many, you know, really excellent SAP data specialists out there, but spread around. You know, they're sort of in forgotten corners of of big SAP partners. We took a few in from. Um, from Axon after they'd been acquired yeah. by ACL. And it was all, the thing that we always said to people was, listen, this is, if you want to spend your career focusing on SAP, SAP data migration, SAP data management, this is the place to be. Everybody you work with focuses in this area. Um, so it was very much a, a people business. And I, and I think we just got to a point where, one, we were wondering how we could really sort of scale this. Um, and... And two, I think there was a, a starting to become a realization that there was a slightly wider aspect to this, which was more sort of 
software-led data migration. And, and we we did have some we, we had some data quality software that we built. We had a very robust methodology, and, and that was our USP. Yep. But um, there were when I met um, so when we started to look for an acquisition partner, and, and I met um, I met Andreas Schneider-Neureiter, the the founder and CEO of, of SNP, who who very sadly died towards the end of, of 2020. What what he said to me was is his he he made he made a very strong case that at that point we were moving out of the sort of the era of implementation yep. and moving into an era of transformation. So companies that were going to implement SAP had SAP already, yep. and it was going to be either business events like mergers and acquisitions or or, or, or technical drivers and upgrades. That was so it was going to be about change of SAP. Mm. And I think we got to a point where we realised that if we were going to play in that space and continue to thrive, we really needed. We really needed a strong software capability, and and again to go back to the Entota example, you know I think I think they started to go down that that route as well. Right. That they, they very very similar time they were acquired by back office now now Synity um, and, and Harlex. We went with the the other really big player in in the SAP data market, which was which was SNP. Makes sense now. I know again, you know that the purpose of this podcast was uh, was spawned out of a conversation we were having about SAP landscape transformation, and and, and the view that you know it just really uh, doesn't actually seem to have much awareness in the marketplace. So I'm keen to understand what what does landscape transformation mean to you, and and how do you think it influences the SAP market? So, in in terms of you know how do you how do you drive? How, how do you deliver an, an SAP data migration or, or, or data transformation? The, the, the approach, the, the, the classical approach, well, you know, classical data migration in, in, in SAP, is using is using those softwares that I mentioned, like LSMW or, or, or data services, where where you're going in through through the application layer, and you're essentially replicating what a user would do through through yeah. automation, but but essentially replicating what a user would do in SAP to create um, a piece of master data or to create a transaction in the system. And that has some benefits in the sense that it's very, very, it's, um, it's auditable and, and validated and, and you can't do, um, you know, you, you can't, um, you can't do anything a user wouldn't do. So you're using the system as, as it should be used. But on the other hand, there are some, um, there are some downsides to that in that in that it can be very slow and in order to um and you can't you're never going to recreate everything that a company has done in their history if you want to re if you want to re-implement that system so so when you're looking at at a new implementation of sap or you're using a classic data migration you're you are quite limited in in what you can do and and what what a landscape transformation approach would would do so so that could be so soft, SAP has its own landscape transformation yep. software. Um, SNP has has what was called Transformation Backbone, now called Crystal Bridge. They're, they're probably the two biggest in the market in, in this space. What what they do is they essentially replicate the the data model in SAP, and then they go in and and migrate data in at at table level. Mm-hmm. So it's very quick, but it means you can accurately recreate a system as it was. And if you can, if you know, if you have the confidence to know that you can put data back into SAP as it was, you can then also take data out of SAP in the in the in the confidence that you can put it back in. So it allows you in that sense to separate 
how a system is created versus from the data that populates that system. And then that opens up a whole world of, of change that you can do to SAP because you've taken the brakes off, if you like. You've mm. removed the boundaries to change. So it means that in, in for example, a merger and acquisition, uh, a merger or an acquisition, you can you can bring two systems together. You can merge those systems. Yep. In in the um, in the example of a divestment, you can split systems apart, and and those are things that you could not do with with a classic data migration approach. Um, with a classic data migration approach, you can ever only ever really take a snapshot of a system rather than recreate it in its entirety. Yeah, I know, and and I've got first-hand experience, obviously, uh, working with with SMP uh, over a number of years, and, and it is really, really uh, powerful uh, indeed, particularly when you take that proposition to to clients um, going through those sorts of transformations. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do do you feel that SAP customers in the UK um, really understand landscape transformation because it doesn't seem to be as popular or as understood as maybe uh, mainland Europe? In the UK, definitely not. Yeah, and, and I think, um, so it was 2016 when when Harlex Consulting was acquired by SNP. And, and I think, you know, up, up until recently, that, that was a, a big part of my job, I think, was to, to make the case for landscape transformation. Um, you know, it's not the it's not the most catchy of terms. It doesn't, no. it doesn't trip off the tongue, and I, and I think a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of customers, wouldn't wouldn't necessarily know what it is or, or the value that it brings. And and I think, in some ways, that's you know, if you look at where do they get their um, where do they get their advice from, it's the it's the large SAP partners, the the global SIs, and and some of those are you know essentially. Essentially, they're in the business of selling mandates and, and mm. landscape transformation technology is, is a mandate killer. It allows you to automate um, processes very quickly. It allows you to, um, you know, to really shortcut the route to, to doing some, some, some quite complex things. Um, you know, we, we've been in situations where we've been talking to customers who maybe on the buy side of, a, of, a, of an M&A, of, of a divestment, um, where their their partner has been advising to them that they completely re-implement SAP from scratch, do a classic data migration, and, and spend not just tens of millions but potentially hundreds of millions. Yeah. Um, and and when I think there's a a carve out option available with software where you could do that in three to four months, um, uh, you know, if, if you if you're a CIO on the buy side of a deal, do you really want to be going through? Uh, you know, a large scale implementation of S4 HANA as your first order of business? Probably not. What you want is, you know, if you can, if you can get that system carved apart in, in three to four months, um, get it, get it behind you and then start to think about what you do to that system uh, longer term. I think that's a much better approach. So, so p- partly I would sort of point the finger a little bit at the, at the global partners. Um, mm-hmm. But, but also I think a lot of those are coming round to, to the fact that, that this can't be ignored. I mean, we, we've worked together from your time at, at DXC and more recently at, at Fujitsu, who have taken very much a, a forward-thinking view on that and, and partnered up with, it was really partnered with, with SNP Absolutely, in yeah. that area. And, and I think we're starting to see that with, with some of the others now as well. But but yes, you're right, it's, um, it's, it's not... As, as well known as it should be, and, and I think that's a job for all of us that work in that space to, to you know, to, to get that message out there. 
And it was really interesting. I noticed uh, yesterday or earlier this week there was a, a more information from SAP on their website about a Bluefield approach. And I think what I was seeing was very early on with, with S4, it was kind of very much either a brownfield or a greenfield approach. But but they were absolutely advocating that kind of uh, Bluefield approach using tooling, uh, you know, SMP along with others in, in that approach. So it seems to be gaining more traction. Yeah, that's right. So SAP first launched what they call the selective. So so when, when SAP themselves talk about a landscape transformation approach to move to S4, um, that they call that selective data transition. And, and, and you're right, that, that sort of blends some of the some of the, the greenfield versus brownfield approach. So it's not really just a technical upgrade because a technical upgrade doesn't give you much in the way of business benefits, business change. Um, and at the same time, as we've said, customers really don't want to be completely re-implementing SAP. So if you can, if you can empty that SAP system, mm. upgrade it to S4, apply the whatever process change uh, you need to, to to make, and then selectively migrate across the data uh, to fit that new uh, that 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 changed system. Um, that that's what they call a selective data transition approach. Or, or sometimes you hear you hear people talk about selective transformation. It's it's a much it's a much neater approach. Now, SAP launched the selective data transition community two years ago now, mm. um, yet it was only, was it yesterday or, or um, it, no, it was in, in, in December, wasn't it? Yep. Um, that, um, that, they, that they really released that, that they, they brought out their first press release in, in English. Yep. So it's taken them a long time to get to, you know, sort of uh, validating that on a, you know, on a global scale. Um, we're getting there, but um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a slow process. Yeah, and I can remember very early on in the S four days. I mean, I think SAP were kind of aligning themselves to to the big four, certainly in the UK, but those big kind of management consulting houses because they did see this as a kind of. Um, I would say a re-implementation, but but in some respects there was a lot of argument. I remember a, a, a Twitter spat, forget between who, very much about you know is it an upgrade or is it a, an implementation? Uh, and I think they saw it as an implementation. And actually, the the big four kind of being at the, the the front of that in terms of being in the boardroom and driving that debate and the process realignment and and change behind it. Uh, and, and I think as the market's gone on, it's it's generally taken a, a different approach, and it it, it uh, is much more moving into into that area yeah i think so I, th- I think you're right i think they aligned themselves with the with the global si's mm. um and they've come up against the reality of, of what customers want um we are probably almost two years ago now i, s- I sat down with with um, a customer so one of the, the uk's largest businesses and, and they've been invited along to a, a meeting with sap um i think it was sap's top top 20 global customers um, and, and SAP had asked them, why, why are you not moving to S4 more quickly? And, and that was exactly the feedback they got from the room is, is mm. that, um, you know, you're, you're pushing us towards either a technical upgrade, which gives my my business very little mm. or a complete re-implementation, which nobody wants to do. Um, and, it, and it's taken this long to get to a point, I think, where we've got a more sensible, a more flexible, a much quicker approach. And um, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it's a much more it's much more in line with what a customer would expect from uh, from a move to the a new a new version of a software and and it's probably much more in line with what other what's possible with other software other soft you know ERP softwares out there um, 
you know, I think SAP is quite unusual in the sense that it's um, it's rare to go in at, at a table level to to migrate data that you have to go through the application all the time. So um, so so yeah, it's it's taken time to get to a place, but I, I think we're getting to where we want to be, and I think. I think as, as we start to move into, you know, through 2021 and and ahead, you know, we've got the we've got two dates really now, haven't we, for the for the sunset of, of ECC yep. 2027. And then I think there's a bit of an extended date to 2030 with yep. with with slightly increased um, support costs. But, um, you know, customers are going to have to start down that journey. And I think as we get past the worst of the uh, the coronavirus slowdown. I think we'll start to see those projects kick off again, um, and and I, and I think we will see that that middle ground of, of selective transformation be be the option for a lot of customers as as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, in episode one. I was talking to uh, Craig Dell, who's the uh, UKMD of the SAP User Group, and I think uh, one of the things that he raised there, which was you know a bit of a concern, was SAP in in February did push out the extension for that. But of course, we've had the coronavirus outbreak that has put the damper on. You know, all businesses have gone through a huge amount of pain, and you know, it's gone into kind of relative survival mode. So, how much of that extension has really given? companies the the chance to really have that time to extend and and uh, develop their plans rather than mm. you know uh, focus on other things more important things clearly uh, but that's still given them a, a relatively compressed timeline to to make the move yeah yeah i think there's so much there's been so much uncertainty hasn't there and you know we, we've talked about this on a probably probably a couple of times um now you know it's it's so different industry by industry as well, you know, and anything touching on, on travel or, or hospitality um, has, has been, you know, really hit hard um, and, and very hard to plan in, in that, um, in that scenario. Other, other industries have, have done fairly well. Technology industry has, has, has done pretty well throughout the, throughout this, um, you know, fairly recently, we've just seen that the vaccination process starts in, in the UK and, mm. and hopefully soon around around the rest of Europe. Um, and yeah, f- fingers crossed as we, as we progress through through 2021, um, we'll put the worst behind us and, and companies will be able to plan and, and start some of these, these programs with a bit more certainty. Absolutely. Well, look, Ben, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat as always. It's been really useful insight into the world of landscape transformation and data migration. Uh, I think we could go on for, for hours and maybe a further episode kind of warrants uh, a, a further discussion. But uh, in the meantime, thank you for uh, appearing on the podcast and uh, wishing you and your family a very happy new year. Thank you, Jaron. Thank you for having me on.